Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where anyone and everyone who cannot bear the thought of remaining trapped in a status quo version of Christianity can find a home. Religious traditions eventually suffocate us. Empty church trends almost always leave us in the shallow end of the pool. But kingdom truth straight from God's word spiritually transforms us. And if you desire this, then you too are likely a maverick and a misfit. And now, here is our host, a Christian whose entire ministry has challenged the religious system, Jeff Lyle. Hey, welcome back everybody to Mavericks and Misfits. So glad that you've tuned in today. I hope this podcast is helping you. If you're a first-time listener, we're grateful that somehow you stumbled across us and um, just glad to be able to take a few minutes to to pour into you. My name is Jeff Lyle. I'm a service pastor, lead pastor at uh, the church at Winder, ironically located not in Winder, but in Bethlehem, Georgia, and um, just been really, really blessed to begin this year with, it feels like the wind of the Holy Spirit at our backs and um, just glad to be able to pour into a little bit uh, of your lives. And I, I really want to share with you something today that um, I think is important. To, I don't think it's important. I know it's important. Um, it, it requires us to really think through our response to what I'm going to share with you today because there's tension in what I'm going to share. And that'll make more sense here in a moment. But I think one of the goals for me and really all that I do in ministry, but especially in the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, because our, our viewing or not our viewing our listening audience is different here than it is. Um, and our viewing audience with transforming truth or the, you know, the congregation at church at Winder or wherever else I might speak. Mavericks and Misfits is a totally different format. I'm different on this podcast. I really is more conversational than anything. And so I, I really want to say every time I want you to think about what you're hearing. I don't, I, man, I just loathe the, the possibility that, you know, somebody press play and then not think about what I'm sharing because this is not meant to just, um, you know, say, Hmm, those are some nice thoughts. It's actually meant to challenge you to the point where you change your behavior. As a matter of fact, let me do this. I never do this. If, if you didn't listen to the last podcast called What Are You Doing With Your Life? Um, I was actually going to record what I'm about to share with you today. I, I planned on doing it in that last podcast, but I never got to it because the Holy Spirit just began to move in the recording studio. And I really just felt like all I was supposed to do is, is prophetically exhort and challenge people uh, about what are you doing with your life? And if you haven't heard that one, <laughs> at the risk of sounding like, you know, a little self-serving, go back and listen to what I said, because I really felt like it was the Lord on it and it'll help you. It'll challenge you to the core. And so I don't mind if you press pause or stop right now, go back and listen to the previous podcast. But for today, I want to talk to you about Jesus and the divisive spirit, Jesus and the divisive spirit. I think it's really important as we approach the end of the age. And that's the context in which I live my Christian life. I live my life in the context of the reality the sobering, overwhelming, shocking reality that I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ at the end of the age. And he's actually going to evaluate what I did with the life that he gave me. And he's going to reward what was valuable and he's going to burn into nothingness that which had no, no value to it. So I live in that context that I, I don't like lay awake at night. I'm not afraid. I'm not trembling. I'm not scared. Um, but I am sobered by the fact that I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ and I'm going to give a full account for my own life 
My beautiful wife, Amy, won't be there with me in that moment. My sweet kids, Alicia and Landon, won't be with me in that moment. The people that shepherded me, mentored me, pastored and taught me won't be there in that moment. The congregations that I've served are not going to be there in that moment. It's going to be me and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's going to say in some form or fashion, Jeff, let's take a look at the true value of what your life was on earth. And so I'm like really intentional about living in a way that, you know, my life counts. And I think one of the things that is getting in the way of a lot of people being able to be ready for that moment of reckoning with Jesus that is on the future timeline out there somewhere for you is that people are are living with a divisive spirit. It means they're literally wasting hours, days, weeks, months, and years for some people that never grow up decades. They're living their Christian life from a posture of pointing out everything that's wrong with everybody else. And I'm just going to say it straight up. That is a divisive spirit. I don't even always think it's a human spirit. I literally think it's attached to an unholy evil spirit that is probably fostered in the war rooms of hell and released into the church because the Lord Jesus Christ, his longest prayer in the Bible is in John 17. And the primary things he prayed for, prayed for was the glory of God to be manifested And for the church, the people of God to remain unified until he comes again. Jesus wants us to live as one. Paul said that we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We're we're constantly exhorted in scripture to press in for unity. So what does Satan do? Well, Satan hates the glory of God and God can only be glorified through a unified church. And so um, Satan fosters divisiveness. And it's a literally, I think it's a foul spirit, like a demonic spirit. But I actually think that some people are on cruise control with it because they love division. They love contention. They love discord. They love judgmentalism. They love pointing out what is wrong. They love the ability to gain a superior feeling about themselves by pointing out what is lacking or wrong in others. Now, the reason why I mentioned that there's tension in this is because the Bible does tell us to be people of truth. Matter of fact, it says contend for the faith that was once delivered to you. So there's a certain component of Christianity where we can't just all walk around having group hugs, you know, warm fuzzies all the time. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about dealing with objective error. I'm talking about a divisive spirit. I'm talking about a spirit that is foreign to the spirit of God. That is not the heart of Jesus. And Jesus himself dealt with this. Matter of fact, I I ended last year and really beginning on Wednesday nights, still continuing into 2022, uh, teaching a series called Keeping in Step with the Son. I've been teaching that at the church at Winder on Wednesdays. It's there on our Transforming Truth YouTube channel if you're interested in, in listening to those messages. But The whole thing was to go through Luke 9, and we ended up going a little further into Luke 10 and just following Jesus, keeping in step with the Son of God. And so um, what is he doing? What is he saying? And and if if we're following him, we ought to be doing and saying the the same things. But in, in, in Luke 9, there's this moment where the disciples are just stumbling and tripping and falling all over their own divisive spirits. Yes, the original 12 disciples were rebuked by Jesus Christ, he actually told them, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. 
And that phrase, man, has just stuck with me for decades, like literally that it's possible for us to be thinking we're walking in the heart and the way and the spirit of God. And for Jesus to have to step in and say, you don't know what spirit you're operating with. Can you imagine that? These guys were walking with Jesus every day, like literally walking with him, you know, camping out with him, eating with him, ministering with him, hearing every sermon, watching the miracles. And it got to a point where they were so zealous about what they thought they were supposed to do with him and for him that Jesus had to intervene and say, you you don't know what you're made of. You don't know what's going on in your heart. This is not me. So I think it's important that if he gives a statement that bold, we actually look at what the disciples were doing that preceded Jesus rebuking them, you know, because we don't want to do that. We don't want to be people who are operating in an ignorance of what, what spirit we're manifesting as far as, you know, what's coming out of our lives. And I'm just here to tell you, I'm going to give you the summary, right? He was rebuking their divisive spirit. And so I'm not going to preach this or anything, but I do, I do want to summarize some of what was going on. So it's, if, if you're interested in reading it later, or if you're somewhere, you can read it now. It's in Luke nine, 10 verses in a row, three different scenes, 10 verses where the disciples are operating with a divisive spirit. It's verses 46 through 56. And, and the first one was when they're following him, he had just gotten through telling them he's going to die. I mean, literally this is immediately after he tells them, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be rejected. And then the scene switches and it says that the disciples were arguing about which one among them was the greatest of all the disciples. I mean, is that not just blindness? He's telling them, I'm about to die. I'm about to suffer. I'm about to be rejected. And they hear that and it goes completely in one ear and out the other. And the next uh, discussion they have is, hey, I think I'm better than you. Hey, Paul. Excuse me, not Paul. Hey, Peter. Hey, it's me, John. I think I'm better than you. Peter says, John, you're an idiot. You're not better than me. James says, you're both idiots. I'm better than all of you guys. And so on and so on. And all of the disciples are literally arguing who among them is the greatest. They don't know what spirit they're of. Now, we're, we're, not, we're not as overt as that. We don't walk around saying, hey, hey, buddy, I'm better than you. I know you love Jesus, but I'm better than you. We don't do that because, you know, we have their example. We, it's too overt. But we live potentially with a smugness in our heart that judicially lessens people. We look at them. We don't say it, but we think it. I'm a better follower of Jesus than you. I'm more spiritual than you. I've got more gifts than you. I'm doing more in the kingdom for, than, than you are. Um, Jesus is more pleased with me. I sacrifice at a higher level. I serve more. I give more. I pray more. I fast more. I witness more. Uh, you know, it's the more, more, I'm more than you. That's what they were saying. And so that divisive spirit appeared among the, the small band of disciples. It's like people competing in ministries with each other, like people that are committed to the same ministry, the same church, the same, you know, mission. And, and they're competing for position. They're, they're, they're crawling all over each other to be the most prominent. And Jesus says, hey, you guys don't know what spirit you're operating with. So how do you know if that kind of spirit's going on in your heart? Well, do you, do you feel sad when somebody else is blessed and you're not? Do you feel envy when somebody else gets rec- recognition and you're serving hard and nobody noticed you? Do you look at somebody doing something for the Lord and while you're not being allowed to do that, you say, I could do it better. If they just get out of the way, I could do it better. That's the kind of thing about arguing who's greatest. Or you just walk around thinking uh, what they're offering is has very little value if, if they only knew what I was offering. Now, again, we don't ever say this stuff, but tons of people 
live with that. It's a spirit of divisiveness. It's a spirit of competitiveness. It's a spirit of envy. It's jealousy. It's judicial and it's, it's uh, diminishing of the value of others. It can't rejoice at the successes and breakthroughs of others. It sees others through the lens of ourselves. And there's that comparison model going on. And that's what the disciples were doing. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, it gets worse. Now, again, this is all in Luke 9, 46 through 56, and you can read it for yourself. It gets worse. Um, by the way, when Jesus wanted to straighten out the disciples about which one of them was the greatest, you know what he did? He, he completely shot blocked them. He humbled them. He took a little child, a little child that had nothing to offer, a little child that had no gifts, a little child that never done anything for the Lord, a little child that literally in the culture of that day was almost completely without value. And Jesus takes the little child and sets them right sets that child in the middle of the disciples. And he says this, and it says he knew what was going on in their hearts. He says, whoever receives this child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. He says, the one who is least of all among you is the greatest in the kingdom. So Jesus gave the paradox. He says, oh, y'all are arguing about who's greatest. You didn't think I heard you, but I heard you. I know what's going on in your hearts. You don't know what spirit you're of. Um, You need to become like a little child. You need to view yourself as non-essential. You need to view yourself as willing to learn. You, You need to view yourself as one who trusts. You have to become as a little child. It's not about the greatness of your intellect. It's not about the greatness of your theology. It's not about the power of your giftedness. It's not about the ability and breakthroughs and, and experiences you've had in serving me. Jesus says, when I want to look at somebody that I will call great in the kingdom, it's going to be the one who views themselves as the least of all. It's a true humility. Jesus says humility is what makes somebody great in the kingdom. And the disciples didn't know what kind of spirit they were carrying. But again, it gets worse. And so they're they're moving into an area. They're still no, I, what I do love about Jesus is he didn't fire them. You know, he didn't he didn't dismiss them. He didn't say, "You guys are never going to get it. I'm going to move on to somebody better." He just says, "Nope, keep walking with me, brothers." So they come up on a, a town, um, and and they they see somebody casting out demons in the name of Jesus. Now this is a person who's not one of the twelve. Not one of the larger group of formalized followers of Jesus. He says somebody obviously who's heard about Jesus, who knows there's power in Jesus' name. There's somebody that has some compassion and some mercy and is casting demons out of people, like literally wicked fallen agents of hell are being cast out. Satan's kingdom is being countered and opposed and, and blocked. And the disciples see this man doing this and they say, Jesus, uh, you, you were not in the area in that moment, but we saw this dude casting out demons in your name. And I just want to let you know, Jesus, we put an end to that because he's not one of us. He's not in our tribe. He, he doesn't walk with us. He's not putting in the time that we're putting in. Um, he, he, he's not part of our crew. He's out doing his own thing. I don't know who he belongs to, but he was using your name. And yeah, he was casting out demons, but he wasn't in our tribe. And so we told him he couldn't do that anymore. and I mean they said it they said he doesn't follow with us and Jesus said don't do that he says don't stop somebody doing something for the glory of God in my name just because they don't do it like you do that's a divisive spirit guys this is so important Your tribe does not summarize the kingdom of God. Your little slice of theological framework is not um, comprehensive enough to fully contain the absolute perfect revelation of who God is. I appreciate good theology. Listen, I have a 
I have an advanced degree in theology. I've got a master's of divinity. But I know within my degree, I did not figure out completely who God was. And I have to, in humility, say there are some things that I do not know yet. And there may be some people whose camp and tribe I disagree with on a dozen things. And I don't like the way they do things a certain way. I don't like the way they, they do certain peripheral secondary doctrines. But is it is it really the spirit of the Lord that says fight those people? Fight them? Guys, I want you to hear me. The younger you are, the more you need to hear this. Because young people, typically, they get a hold of a certain segment of theology. They get a hold of a certain truth. They start thinking that they, um, you know, they, they're getting a corner on the market of all theology and all truth. And they see things and they boil the entire kingdom down to the slice of truth that they really believe in. And anybody who doesn't believe in it, they try to oppose them. It's a divisive spirit. Now, listen, do we need to confront heresy? Yep. We're not talking about that. We're talking about in this picture, a guy that was doing kingdom work, glorifying Jesus, helping people, casting out demons, but he wasn't part of the 12. And the 12 said, how dare you presume to operate in the name of Jesus when you're not part of our tribe? You may be thinking I'm blowing this out of proportion, but I'm not. Let me read you something that Paul wrote because Paul's writing in jail. Paul's suffering for, for his commitment to truth. And he's in jail. And he says this about some people that were outside of the prison and they were taking advantage of Paul's absence and they were trying to promote themselves. So their motivation was not good. So you'd think Paul would say, all of you who follow me, go put an end to these guys. But listen to what he said instead. He said, some preach Christ from envy and rival rivalry, but others preach him from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I, Paul, am put here in prison for the defense of the gospel. But the former group proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking to afflict me while I'm in prison. He says, so what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Did you get that? Paul said, I'm not even going to try to stop people whose motivations I know are wrong. That's huge. Paul said, God can even use poorly motivated people for his glory because they're preaching Christ. They're magnifying Jesus. They are telling the truth. The motivation is wrong. They're trying to gain position and advantage over me because they envy my, my position and power in the kingdom, Paul says. But I'm not going to bother them because they're actually telling the truth and God will use them. Now, what Paul doesn't say, but it is true, is God will never reward those people for what they did, but God will use those people for what they, for what they did. So God can use a person you disagree with, a person that's actually wrong in their motivation or a person that may be wrong in secondary doctrines. God can use that person for his glory. And I want to emulate Paul. Paul said, yeah, they're actually doing it with a terrible motivation, but they're saying the right thing. So I'm going to leave them alone. And Paul said, as long as they're keeping Jesus at the center of it and they're advancing the gospel, I'm not going to fight them. And he actually said this. He says, I actually rejoice that Christ is proclaimed, even if it's by a person that I disagree with that's trying to hurt me. A uh, similar thing happened back in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers chapter 11 when, you know, the spirit of the Lord comes and down in the cloud and he speaks to Moses. He takes some of the power that's on Moses and gives it to 70 elders. And as soon as these elders 
received that unction that God put on them that once belonged completely and only to Moses. God shared the anointing and all those elders began prophesying. But there were two guys in the camp that whose names were Eldad and Medad, if you can remember that. And and the spirit rested on them, but they they were doing things differently. They they weren't doing it the way the other 70 elders were prophesying. Um, they had they had prophesied within the camp and this young guy comes up to Moses and, and it's listen don't miss that it's a young dude young zealot he's like they're not doing it the way we're supposed to do it they're not doing it the way I think is right they're not doing it the way that we've done it and this young man runs and tells Moses and he says Eldad and Medad are prophesying within the camp and Joshua it's one of the only negative things that you'll ever see about Joshua Joshua goes to Moses and he says, you want me to stop them, Moses? Either you stop them, Moses, or I can. And look at what Moses, the wise, aged man says to him, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all of the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. So again, you have this, you have this, and I'm sorry I'm taking so long with this, but you got to get this. You got to get the spirit of this. Moses and Paul, spiritual giants, both recognize that nobody has to do it exactly like we do it in order for them to be used by God. I want you to hear me on this. God reserves the right to bless and use people you completely disagree with. And he's not assigned you to go on a continual crusade to fight them. Listen, we're getting to the end of the days. You can disagree with people, but you don't have enough time to spend the rest of your days um, defending, defending what you think is the right representation of the Lord. If you will just promote what is true and what is right, you will find yourself with very little bandwidth to go around fighting everybody you disagree with. I'm going to say this boldly. A lot of people that seem big and confident and bold and strong and, and all of that stuff, they're actually cowards. They, they hide behind a ministry that shreds and rips apart other Christians that they disagree with. And that's all they know how to do. That like they're literally without identity unless they're protesting what's wrong. And so they assail the church and they assail different denominations that they're not a part of. And they come into this tribalism and they rip them apart. And that, that person they're ripping apart may be wrong in several areas. But what I'm talking about is actual authentic Christian people with whom we disagree, who are not part of our denomination, not part of our tribe. Maybe they disagree with us. Maybe they even come out against us, against secondary issues. The, the Bible pattern is, is this. You don't know what spirit you're of when you're trying to stop them from advancing the gospel in the ways that God is using them to advance the gospel. You don't need to lift up your voice against them. You don't need to fight them. You, listen, God cares more about it than you do. And God is well aware of what needs to happen with that person and he can muzzle them when he's ready. And you don't have time or bandwidth or even the calling to spend all of your days fighting against people in the church you disagree with. It is an absolute utter waste of time. And I believe it's a shameful way for us to serve the Lord. So the third part is this, and this is the third fumble. Remember, we're talking about a divisive spirit. So you've got them arguing about who's the greatest. I'm the greatest. You're, the, you're not the greatest. I'm the greatest. That's divisive spirit. And then you've, you've got them missing the big picture of somebody actually doing something for the kingdom, but they're part of a different tribe. So they're fighting against them, trying to get them to quit casting out demons because they don't you know, have the same uniform that the disciples do. So silly. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. The one that is not against you is for you. Jesus actually said that. So the one who's not against you, the one who's got the core mission of the gospel message and is trying to advance that, 
just because they don't run with you doesn't mean they're against you. It just means they're not with you in certain senses, but that doesn't mean they're trying to fight you. And he says, they're doing the same thing that you're doing. They're just doing it a different way. Leave them alone. And then the third one is really scary. And this is a divisive spirit against a godless culture. This is, this is hard because, um, at the end of the age, you're going to see a more clear lines divided between what is holy and what is unholy, what is truth and what is deception. What is of God and what is of Satan? You're going to see that more and more. And we don't embrace that. We don't just give warm fuzzies towards that. We're actually supposed to expose it. But again, the indictment that Jesus gives is you don't know what spirit you're of. And the spirit behind what we do is as important as what we do. So it's fully possible to have the truth on your side, be be operating in a spirit that Jesus rebukes. Do you hear me? Some people think, well, the bottom line is I know what's truth and I'm going to say what's true. Well, well, good. If you know what's true and you say what's true, that's good. But you better be careful how you do it because Jesus cares about that. I mean, it actually matters. So what am I talking about? You're talking about James and John. And by the way, these were the two guys that were fighting for position. They even got their mom involved saying, we want to sit at your right hand and left hand in the coming kingdom. So these guys were already struggling with this issue of who was the greatest with the other disciples. <laughs> even got their mommy involved. That's funny. Um, but so then they're going to Jerusalem and it's getting very near to the time where Jesus is going to be crucified in order to go to Jerusalem. They got to pass through a certain territory. That's got a Samaritan village just very quickly. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Culturally, they were different. Religiously, they were different. They had a lot of tension, a lot of mutual animosity towards each other. So there was some racial stuff, some religious stuff. Um, and culturally, they just didn't hang out together. The Samaritans and the Jews, like for a Jew to be called a Samaritan would be one of the worst insults. Matter of fact, they actually said that about Jesus. They said, you're a Samaritan, you got a demon. And so that was like an insulting word. But Jesus and the disciples to get to Jerusalem had to pass through a village of the Samaritans. And they were... They were doing so, and the Samaritans saw that Jesus was passing through. They knew who he was, but they also saw that he was intent on passing through. He wasn't going to hang with them. He wasn't going to affirm them. He wasn't going to spend time ministering there. He, was, he had his mind made up. He's got to get to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And so the people of Samaria, that village, saw that, and they said, we don't want you to pass through. Don't come near us. We don't want to, we don't want to receive you. We're not going to show you hospitality. We're not going to treat you kindly. We don't, we don't like the fact that you're bypassing us and you're going to Jerusalem because we don't, we can't stand the Jews. And so there was like major rejection there. They were rejecting Jesus. Matter of fact, Luke 9 53 says that the people did not receive him. So they rejected Jesus. And then the next verse says, when James and John saw that Jesus was being rejected, listen to what they said. And they thought they were doing Jesus, you know, an honor here. They said, Jesus, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and destroy these people? Now, guys, just pause there for a minute. Jesus is on his way to the cross to die so that anyone who believes can be saved. He's about to lay down everything. And James and John, in their zeal, like they are zealous for Jesus's honor. They're offended that somebody would treat Jesus contemptuously and reject him. And so you know what their answer is? Let's kill them all. Jesus, just let, give us permission. And Lord, we've got enough faith that we can call down fire from heaven like Elijah did 
and and Lord, they'll all die, and this rejection that you've received will be no more. Justice will be served. Let's kill them. I'm I'm not I'm not stretching what they said. That's exactly what they meant. And so Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus turned and rebuked James and John. Jesus didn't say a word that's recorded to the people that rejected him, but he expected way more of those who had committed themselves to him, represented by James and John. And Jesus rebuked them. And this is where he said to them, this is the exact moment, you don't know what spirit you're operating with. You don't know what you just said. You don't know what's going on in your own heart. So can I amplify that? Can I unpack it? This is what Jesus is saying. You don't know my heart. That's not me. That's not what it's what, not what at all I want to do to these people that have just rejected me. I'm not here to destroy them. I'm not here to um, punish them. I am not here to do anything close to what you two guys just thought was the best thing that could happen. I'm here to die for them. I'm here to go low. I'm here to turn the other cheek. I'm here to offer them what I have to offer, but I am not here to punish them because they've said no. Now, I want to be very clear here. Jesus was going to die and rise and make provision for their salvation. The salvation of the Samaritans, which is the same provision he made for James and John. James and John had received by faith Jesus. And they looked on others who had not said yes to Jesus. And they said, burn them all up. Kill them. Now, guys, let me just ask you this. Um, does that sound like pride or humility? Do you take pride for what you believe? Do you take credit for what you believe? Have you so long walked with Jesus that you've forgotten that you were once dead in your trespasses and sins, unable to save yourself, blind, lost, and damned, utterly without hope, and you never would have come to Christ had he not opened your eyes to the gospel, granted you repentance, quickened your spirit, and brought you into salvation? You see, what happens is when we forget the grace of God that appeared to us when we forget that we were lost and helpless and dead and darkened when we forget. And the longer you walk with Jesus, the more prone you can become to forgetting where you started. And when that happens, we lose compassion on those that are currently in that same state of being. And when they act like lost people, when they act like dead sinners, when they act like those that are hostile in their minds towards Christ and enemies of God alienated from God by works of unrighteousness and wicked deeds. When they actually act according to what they actually are, if we're not careful, we'll say, let's just burn them up and kill them all. We don't care for their souls. We, we deal with their behavior. We mock, we judge, we condemn, we privately, if we're not careful, we can privately just long for the day where God's going to incinerate them because God does promise justice will come. And let me make very clear, there will be a full and final justice upon all of those who reject Jesus Christ. But that is not justice that is given to us. It is justice that is reserved for God himself because he alone is worthy to execute that justice. And he has called us to be messengers of truth, mercy, grace, compassion, and love.
And the truest and highest form of love does not say kill the people, destroy the people, relegate to damnation the people who reject our message. That's not the spirit. It may be the truth that all, it is the truth that all who reject Jesus and die in that state of rejection will die and go to hell. They will. We don't take pleasure in that and we don't prematurely desire it. We long for people to be saved. Paul said in Romans chapter nine that he wishes that he himself could be cursed if that's what it took in order for his Israelites, his fellow countrymen to be saved. James and John, they're like, Lord, they just rejected you. Let's burn them up. That's a divisive spirit. And Jesus's answer was, you don't know what's going on in your heart. So that's a lot to think about today. And my, my motive in this is just to say to all of us, let's kill the divisive spirit in us. Um, you may be a Baptist, you may be a Methodist, you may be a Presbyterian, you may be a non-denominational charismatic, you might be a Roman Catholic. I don't know what you are, what, what tribe you're in. But let me tell you this, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Have you bowed your heart to the Son of God? Have you denied yourself, taken up your cross daily? Are you following him? Then you're my brother. You're my sister. And you may do things differently than me. And you may not like the way I do things. I'm a tongue-talking charismatic. I prophesy. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's right. I'm not ashamed of God the Father. I'm not ashamed of God the Son. And I am not ashamed of God the Spirit. You don't have to like that. But I'm going to tell you something. If I am your brother in Christ, then you and I are not enemies. You know, the, the culture says, if you disagree with me, you hate me. That's straight from the pit of hell. Christians have learned to disagree. We are called to disagree in a way that even in our disagreements, we glorify God. And the divisive spirit has got to go. And I'm going to tell you, it's not just a human personality issue. It is a spirit sent from the enemy to stir up division in the church because a divided church is a weakened church. That's all the time I got today. I hope that you've been helped, encouraged, challenged, and I hope you'll think again. Think, 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 think. Think about what you've heard and you make the changes necessary in your heart. Learn to do it a different way if you are like James and John and the other disciples, thinking you're greater than others, wanting to be greater than others, trying to stop people from doing the work of God because they don't do it like you. And certainly, let's don't live towards unbelievers with a hostility and a desire for judgment. Let's have a desire for their salvation, and let's live that out. We'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Have you picked up a copy of Jeff's book, Figuring It Out As I Go? His life story of abandonment as a child, an embrace of the occult and addiction as a teenager, and a nearly deadly battle with depression and rage as a young adult serves as an intense backdrop to Jeff's supernatural conversion at the age of 24. From there, Jeff writes of powerful seasons of deliverance, healing, and breakthrough, which were followed by tragedy, betrayal, and deep challenges which only God could turn around. If you want to hear a powerful account of the triumph of God's grace, and Jeff's surprising journey into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit, pick up a copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at jefflyle.com or wherever else you buy books. You can also download a copy of Jeff narrating Figuring Out As I Go on audible.com.